exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Tyler Bastian. Tyler and I have been neighbors, I believe, since I moved into the neighborhood almost 18 years ago. Yeah, I think, yeah, 17, 18 years. Yeah, my 18-year-old daughter was six months old when we moved in. And I, when I say that, I'm like, that is crazy because I moved around so much that I'm still like in shock that I've lived in one place for so long. So um, you've always been awesome and you are related to um, some friends in our, our congregation. Um, it's your, is it, is a, um, it's my sister, my sister and brother-in-law, sister and brother-in-law. That's right. Cause I was like, are you related to summer or, okay, got it. So yeah. So anyway, awesomeness runs in the family. This is what I hope that generations going forward say about my kids. They'll be like, awesomeness <laughs> just runs in the family instead of, oh, you come from that, Lita? That they're, That's craziness, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you have how many children? So we have six biological and then one adopted. Oh, I didn't know that one was adopted, but you know. Most, most people don't. He is, um, he's 30, 34. So, and he has four kids. So we, we, he became part of our family when he was 15. I was going to ask uh, because our, birth order oldest, yeah. and the age of you guys, it would have been hard to adopt him from birth. Yeah. So our, our kids go 34 um, down to 23, uh, 20, and then, uh, and then down from there, 13, yeah. uh, 13, 12. I don't know. They, they grow up so fast. You forget how old they are. It's super rude. I'm actually um, a little bit resentful right now of my kids wanting to move forward with their lives. And I didn't have yep. as many as I would have liked. So I get to be a little bit more bitter about it, I think. But um, it's nice that you agree, even though you've gotten a fair number, you know, kept the, the numbers for Utah up. I'm sorry. I yeah. sadly let my my Utah heart fail on that. You know, I tried. I tried. Um, and you also run a really cool school. So before we get into the topic, I think that'd be cool for some credibility to share about your school a little bit. Yeah, so I uh, run a school called Roots Charter High School. Roots is a, it's an alternative school. Most of our students have um, not found success in a traditional school. So they, they end up at Roots. A lot of them have credit uh, deficiencies, um, behavior issues. And so we kind of work with them. The students at the school run a run a six acre farm. And so that farm is kind of a tool that we use to kind of connect them with, with what's real. I think uh, a lot of them, you know, the real goal is to authenticate their learning. They've sat in classrooms and they have, you know, trauma or difficulties that make it really hard just to sit there and listen. And so the farm gives us a way for them to kind of have a hands-on experience and for them to uh, you know, to be outside. And, and that's the, and just to see beauty. I think that, you know, a lot of them come from environments where um, they don't, they don't get to see a lot of, you know, animals and things, things be born, things die. Mm -hmm. and, and to participate in that is, is pretty transformative, or at least that's the hope. And to see, uh, and so the school, go ahead. A hard work, something you do that's hard, like weeding. Yeah. You know, and to see the result of that and why of that. Yeah. I mean, it really is the law of the harvest and that's kind of what we try to teach. Um, you know, their, their locus of control is, is, is so out of whack that the idea of you reap what you sow, you know, on the farm, then they can apply that to their lives and we can use that kind of as an example of, Hey, like this behavior, these things are going to get you here, uh, you know, and, and them understanding that, 
that every little action plants a seed and that's either going to be a positive or a negative uh, in the future. It's, you know, it seems so simple when you understand, you know, in the spiritual term of the law of harvest, you know, if you've grown up in a religious tradition, you know, you would have heard that, but um, I lived in inner city DC and it was mind blowing to me how it wasn't a color thing. It was just people who'd grown up in the area where there was so much violence and so much hopelessness and so much government telling them that they would not be able to do anything to affect their lives. And that's not gotten any better the 25 years since I've lived in inner city to see people. And I worked as an interpreter for the deaf. So I would, I would see what messages were being sent to people. And it was really sad and really destructive because you understand that every human soul has a need to want to create. Yes. And most educational systems that we have leaned in into, you know, Western learning is sit quietly, which ironically, it might be a way that a lot of girls are more apt to learn, which is why 60 something, I think it's like 66% of those in college are female because the sit quietly model works really well. And I have ADD. And so, you know, I would sit there and move around in my chair, you know, and just have a hard time sitting. And, yeah. uh, you know, for, for boys, that's even more that they need to, to wrestle and move. And I read a study or saw a podcast or, or saw a podcast, read a podcast where it was talking about boys need to play rough and learn the boundary of what can hurt that actually helps them become fathers. Because then they know gently they learn their, the bounds of their own strength. Which is fascinating. There's, there's so many things that, that we do. We know they don't work. And I often wonder like, why are we continuing to do them? And, and when you look at the history of, you know, compulsory education, um, it's not a very positive history. Um, Mm -hmm. And we haven't made the changes that need to be made. Um, We're not keeping, we've, we've never been able to keep up with technology um, and kick, keep up with industry changes. And so we're basically using the same model that was used in the industrial revolution. And it's not, it's not working. And especially it doesn't work for kids who have high trauma, high, uh, high adverse childhood experiences. Uh, They're the ones that slip through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. They slip through the cracks and it's sad. It is because those individuals have great value and have great things to teach. And um, I, you know, I, I, for my research, the reason that we focus on this form of education is to create great factory workers. Yep, it, it is. And what's sad is that you're missing out on so much human potential, you know, and, and that's for me, that's probably my driving motivation in education is just that, that, you know, every human has potential. And when you tap into that potential, then you're able to to create, you know, help them to create the life and the and, and the individual that they are meant to be, and that so many of our systemic problems um, do the opposite. Mm-hmm. They don't take into account the human potential. Even even our level of incarceration, we're incarcerating so much human potential that could be rehabilitated, could be um, loved back into. Uh, back into communities, back into to society in a way that that potentials that we're able to tap into that potential. And it's really what's sad is it's it's really without being too you know capitalist, you're you're missing out on you know human value, human potential that that over over the long term could could improve some of the problems we're having both in our economy and in um, mm-hmm. you know in our quality of life. And so can't really incarcerate and you can't educate out of the problem if we continue to incarcerate and educate in the same ways. Right. And it's not about, again, it's not about male or female racism orientation. It's individuals learn different ways and we need to treat people as valuable individuals. Yep. And there's no one is disposable. Nope. Nobody is, and and we continue to to live in and, and perpetuate a society that does dispose of actually a large percentage of the population, whether that's through poverty or through uh, through other actual 
disposal mechanisms like incarceration. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sad how many people we drive to the margins when they don't really belong in the margins. Um, they belong in our communities. Yeah. Well, something that's really stuck with me is uh, in 2019, we hit where we had the least people around the world in poverty that we've ever had. And we've been moving away from true capitalism and going to crony capitalism, which crony capitalism is an oligarch type form that just keeps people at the top really wealthy. And then they use COVID to be the largest wealth transfer ever. And now they're using, you know, climate change to say, well, you know, billions of people will die and, you know, we need to, you know, but it's just a necessary thing that we need to do. And I'm like, who are those billions of people that are going to be willing to die? You know, for this utopia to happen, but it's disposing people. And the more you hear these things, they say, oh, we care about individuals, but they create programs that, again, push more and more and more and more people to the margins. And having grown up very much economically <clears throat> on the margins, um, it's not something that quite leaves you of how you realize that certain programs are going to be devastating. You know, just raising the price of gas, how devastating that is to the the poor first. Yeah, we don't. Um, unfortunately, I think we're disconnected. Decision makers are definitely disconnected from uh, from a lot of the people that, you know, that, that matter most and that need most. Um, they just they're just there's a disconnection and that disconnection is it's really sad. I see it in education every day. Uh, but it really it spreads to every every facet of our uh, of our society. Yeah, absolutely. And you're someone who's actually doing something. I remember when you started your school, and you know that was kind of exciting and scary because would it work? And I remember seeing the fundraisers and supporting different things. And it seems like your school's doing well. And you know, or are you still needing fund funds, or probably always needing funds? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, um, the model's expensive and we really, um, so we, we, we're put in a position where we have to raise about 600,000 every school year. And so mm. it is, it's an ongoing fundraising. Um, we've committed to keep the, the student count low so that we really can. So I can know each student, each parent, uh, when you get to the 300, 400, 500, and some of our schools, you know, in the thousands, obviously, um, you can't know each individual. Yeah. I can't sit with each kid and, and really know uh, know what he needs. Um, our goal is to have for every kid to have multiple loving adults in their life to kind of counteract the adverse childhood experiences that they mm -hmm. they come with. Uh, and, and you can't do that if you if you take in too many kids. So yeah. we're a public school, and char charters are public, and they're funded by your student count. And so uh, we're, we financially stable but to be so we yeah we have to raise about six hundred thousand a year and, and i'll always do that other than you know the alternative is to raise the student count to 300 i would rather um, be a school that fundraises actively and 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 takes in 200 kids and does you know keeps with the mission of that we started roots to 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 really keep with so well i for one hope that your kinds of schools that there'll be other people that will do something similar that will give people, yeah. um, you know, life skills. I mean, we, we've pushed away vocational training in schools and said the only way to pass to success is college, which I'm, I'm a fan of college and I'm glad my kids get to go, but it's not the only route. And not everybody has their life figured out by 18 to be able to make college a possibility. And yeah, so no, I, it's, I didn't. I mean, I was 26 when I started um, so I got a, graduated from high school and didn't go back to school until I was 26 um, and, and already had kids and had started my own business. And, you know, that was a lot tougher, but, but it really was that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. so um, had I gone to school, I probably would have, you know, ended up like a lot of my friends in careers that they don't like, that, that don't tap into their potential or their passions. And uh, it's just a way to support um, support their family and but there's nothing wrong with that but um, I, I wouldn't have functioned well in it uh, you well, know, the business I that think I it's, yeah 
I think it's noble when people do the work, even if it's not something that they enjoy because they are taking care of a family, but, you know, take, taking some risks and figuring out what you love, there's reward in that. Absolutely. And it's, um, it's, it's, I, I have no regrets. I, I enjoyed the business side. I, um, but when I sold that and went into education, you know, th- that's really where I wanted to be. So. Yeah. Well, it's super cool. And it's been fun watching your journey and your you post really great stuff. You oh, often thanks. post great things. There's a, a few of the neighbors that I really enjoy what they post. And I only follow people um, who are positive and uplifting. And if they're just sharing about their kids or the happiness in their life or the vacation, that's fine too. But you definitely post thought provoking things. And one of the things that you posted, I was just like, a hundred percent. Yes. And with your permission, it might be included in my third book. It is so stinking good. And, um, so I'll go ahead and let you intro what that was. So, um, you know, I, I really, for me, it's, it's, it's tough because I think, um, it has to do with evil. I know I don't, I don't think I know it has to do with evil, but I, my thoughts really are, is I think we, we judge too harshly, um, people's actions and not understanding really where, where those actions mm-hmm. come from. So the, the quote is evil's goal isn't to have us do bad things. Evil's goal is to have us think bad things. And that thinking bad things really, for me, is kind of where a lot of us get stuck. Um, yep. We live a life where we're like, I do everything right. Um, you know, I'm doing the right thing. But the way we view others and the way we uh, treat others is, you know, we've, we've kind of lost that little battle. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you're talking about evil, that's really where evil um, plants those seeds. Is right. It divides and, and it makes us see other people uh, in ways that that are bad. And, and the, and what's funny is we often see them as bad because we think we're doing good and they are doing bad. Thus they are bad. And and then it it kind of puts everybody on that. And then we get to feel superior because we're good. I actually have a speech Uh, that I give to church groups about um, where I kind of set up the audience to realize that they go around saying they're good people. But every time anyone has ever hurt me, they've always told me as they're hurting me, what a good person they are. Yeah. And I'm like, what you've done, what you've done. And it's a way of not only pushing off accountability, but in religious terms, pushing off repentance, which is pushing off the the grace of God, the atonement, all of that. And so when, if we have a little bit of humility to realize that this was a good action, this was a not positive action. This was a positive action. This wasn't. And the end of the day, if there are more positive actions than negative actions, we can say that was a pretty good day. Yeah. But if we, you know, I, I always talk about, you know, sometimes I'm in the car and sometimes I'll just be like, man, person was such a jerk. And I just start thinking about what a jerk they were and the things that I might say to them. I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not zoning awesome right now. I'm zoning poopy, which are my words yeah. for God and Satan. Right. And mm-hmm. poop is natural. Everybody poops. It's just where we put our poop. Yeah. How do we who you, who you throw it at? Exactly. Do we throw it? How do we dispose it? Do we sit there and sit in it and it's warmth and feeling all comfortable because we made it ourselves, right? I mean, these are like some of the humor of my speaking content, but I I think it's such a powerful thing because we've, you know, speaking of education, we've taken the, the ability to talk about God out of education because people didn't want to have particular religions pushed, which I I agree with. But we've taken away this concept that there if there is no good then there is no evil and if they're just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean that the forces that have always fought for our attention have gone away and that human nature mm-hmm. need to have something to strive for and something to resist have gone away yeah and it's it is it's um i remember once we were at church and there was an, an argument kind of you know, how it often does uh, in one of the classes kind of broke out and it had, it was centered around the proclamation to the family. And which for those not wife, familiar with the LDS faith, um, church use Christ Latter-day Saints, the proclamation of the family is a, a document that is like the description. 
that came out in our church in 1995, 98, somewhere in there. And it said something really super controversial that families are ideal. With and a mom it, and a dad. It, yeah. Super. At the time, we we're all like, this is stupid. Why are they saying this? And now it's hate speech. Yeah. And what's fascinating, what's fascinating about the argument is finally my wife raised her hand and she said, you know, evil doesn't care about this argument. They don't care who's right, who's wrong. Evil just wants people to fight and argue. And I think so, so much of, um, you know, even even if you're in the right, when you weaponize it, um, it's yep. a, your def- by default, you're in the wrong. And and that's kind of where that 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 post came from really is the fact that uh, you can be right and you can have truth. But if you, if you weaponize it and you're thinking you're superior or treating people poorly, um, then you're, that's what you're doing exactly what evil wants you to do. Um, You know, and I think there's, yeah, there's some very people who their, their choices and their decisions and the way that, They've lived, they live their life is very good, but the way they treat others um, and the way they view others uh, puts them in, puts them in some dangerous territory. And, and I see that, uh, I see that every day really in my occupation because I, you know, I do, you know, I, I work with students who are very different than, um, than a lot of the youth that, that I, that I live with in my vicinity. Um, and that's, where we it's live, fascinating. Where we live is in a very social, economic, comfortable, um, even if it's, uh, you know, we've got a, we live in a master plan community. So there's all different economic levels, but in order to buy a home or rent a home with an HOA, there's a certain economic stability that is implied in that. And so even if somebody's only making 50,000 or making, you know, half a million, we're living in the same neighborhood, but there's, it's stable. And in that yeah. stability comes a, a financial piece and oftentimes a family piece. You know, there's a lot of stable, you know, living their lives and diversity of religious backgrounds and things like that, but it's, it's stable. It is. And, and I don't, I think we often, because of that, it's easy to get, to not be in touch with the level of poverty and some of the sadness that people that are, you know, within 20 minutes of where we are. Uh, and, and it goes for everybody, right? Everybody nationwide, you know, there's, you're, there's mm-hmm. people that live very close to you. We had a student, I think it's been about four years who was, um, he was killed, he was shot. And um, I mean, it was literally, you know, t- 10 minutes from my home, 20 minutes from my home. Uh, and he, he lived in a situation that he was always afraid for his life and his well-being. Um, and when he was, you know, it, when he was killed, it was a situation where, you know, I get a call from, uh, from family and from friends letting me know what had happened. And, uh, you know, and you kind of look around in your little, in, we get in these bubbles or in these silos and you look around your silo and you're like, how did this even happen? Like, uh, everything's fine. And you realize like, for a lot of people, it isn't fine. Uh, right. and, and that's, that, that division is really the goal uh, of, of people who want to perpetuate and create systemic evil. They, they do it through that division and, and siloing. Amen. And we let it allow it to happen when we look at other people and judging them by, oh, this is the outcome of their life. Then their X, Y, and Z could have done better or should have done better. And, you know, no government handout is going to solve people that are living in danger, you know, if they don't know how to do differently in their lives. You know, if the people around them are in trauma, Um, you know, I grew up with um, my parents, you know, bless them, do not know how to manage money. It, it is completely, um, I my dad was kicked in the head by a cow. And so he's got a, you know, a brain injury and I've never seen him do anything but simple math. And my mother, her mother tried to abort her. So part of her brain is scrambled. And so she's got MS, Parkinson's, dystonia, 
basically every neurological thing they can throw at her and they keep throwing at different medications, seeing what will stick. But, you know, the part is there's brain injury and the ability for them to do math and thus manage a budget is zero. And so you could give them a million dollars and they will still have the same financial problems, you know, and that led Mm -hmm. to other emotional problems, you know, lack of stability You magnify that by what I saw in the inner city with then there's gun violence and, you know, people are like, oh, let's take away the guns. Well, the criminals aren't going to give away their guns, you know, so you're still going to have these neighborhoods. Those kind of neighborhoods would actually grow. And when you're a young kid around and everybody's in trauma, you're like, oh, this is life. And I think that, um, you know, it's. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, just reading in the New Testament, and it was fascinating to me to think, it just dawned on me that pretty much every parable uh, that Jesus gives is, has a component that isn't fair, um, according to the standards that we try to create. And, and yeah. I think, I mean, in my opinion, he's trying to teach us that, that, you know, that there isn't, when you're looking for fair, like the story of, uh, of your parents, um, you, you won't find, you won't find it. You can't look around and say, you know, it, their life is their fault, pull themselves up by their, they could just pull themselves up by their bootstraps because there is so much more uh, that goes into, to why people end up where they end up. Um, and well, I the think truth is my, us, my dad, especially very hard worker, very yeah, hard. Oh worker, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, we have, um, you know, at any given time we have probably um, between five and, and 10, sometimes 15 families that are experiencing homelessness uh, and their students are going to roots. And oftentimes they're employed. And I think that that surprises people when I tell them, I said, look, like just when someone's homeless, doesn't we have in our mind, we think they're homeless. It's their fault. It's drugs. It's, it's, you know, fill in the blank. And we don't understand that, uh, that it's not, not, it's, it's often not that it's often something else. And, our, our job isn't to create fair, understand fair. Our job is to love everybody uh, mm-hmm. and in part of our substance in a way that, you know, that, that people, it's productive. Know, that there's no poor among us. Yeah. I mean, how many times in the scriptures does it say, you know, the poor, there were no poor among them. Um, and, and it's, it's possible, but you have to, you know, there's, there's ways to do it right. And there's ways to do it wrong. Um I think, well, that I think it's because own. there were no poor among them is the among is the key part is that they did they not push the poor push over here. They had them among them. They were mentoring them. They were, um, I have turned out the way I have because neighbors that had not only an abundance of resources, but more but willing, more importantly, a willing to give of their time which all of us have yeah. the same 24 hours to mentor me. And that has made all the difference. I have two siblings that are addicts. So it's not really hard for me to see um, where my life would be differently if it hadn't been being among people that would lean in and be a support to me. And so when well, I see someone homeless, I, wow, you know, by the grace of God, go I, that's what I think. Yeah. And it really is. It's a matter of, um, it, it, it roots. We have a, a two, four, three is pretty much everywhere. Everywhere you look, you see that number. Um, and it comes from Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers used the number one, four, three, which uh, he said it takes one letter to say I, four letters to say love and three letters to say you. We swapped the the one for a two, which is we love you. Um, and that's, it's been like, truly transformative for our students and for the school. And I think um, as and a whole. you have a graffiti and, all over your school too, huh? Yeah. So it's everywhere. You can't really go anywhere without seeing it. Um, all of our shirts that we produce have it. Uh, it's, it's, it really is everywhere. And, and we talk about it and we say it. And that's kind of what as a society, we, we try to do all these other things. And when the real answer is that, that charity and love, is what 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 transforms and and brings people to where you can say that you know that they're among us uh and and that that among and and with and a part of is is important Uh, a community isn't a community um if it if it rejects people right 
in our local um, city politics, there was a bunch of people are upset because they were going to have some HUD housing. And I was like, well, where, if we don't put it here, where are we going to put it? And it was a great place because it's really close to tracks. So for people who don't have a car, it just opened up that many more options of where they can go for better employment, you know, riding the public transportation. And I was like, where's it going to go? And they're like, well, not in our backyard. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Cause that's where you get those gerrymandered school districts in California where they're like, we spend this money, much money per student. No, they're spending 90% of on certain kids and 10% of it on certain neighborhoods. And they've got these school districts where they're separating. And so the answer obviously for that is school choice, you know, cause it equalizes where kids can go, you know? So if a parent is proactive enough to say, Hey, I want my kid to go to this school. And then the bad schools fail, you know, I'm not, I'm okay with bad schools failing. Yeah, it's again, it's it's that division and that's it's that right. siloing of, of people and ideas. Um, and it's it's super unhealthy. Um, Draper, Draper, a community bias, Draper experienced the same thing when they wanted to put a homeless shelter there. And having dealt with and, and visited and, and had students in homeless shelters, uh, they need to be in communities where those those individuals can interact with people who are um, who are who can mentor them and love them and treat them in a way that, but again, if you put all of, all of the HUD housing, uh, low income housing, homeless shelters, if you put them all uh, in, in, in an area that's comfortable for, for those that don't want them, you're not, uh, you're not going to be able to break any cycles. Right. Well, so. the good news is the HUD housing went in because there was enough people that agreed. Um, but, you know, a, a wealthier community should have, a fair amount of HUD housing, because then again, that's that mentorship. And it's what I experienced growing up. And it's what you're providing for your students is I loved how you said several adults in their lives, mm-hmm. which is how historically we used to live tribally communally is it wasn't just your mom and your dad. It was your aunts and uncles and the baker and the blacksmith or, you know, whatever people around you that loved you and held you to your best. Yep. I mean, and it's restoring that is what's key. Uh, um, And you don't restore it by creating communities and congregations that uh, everybody's exactly the same. Yeah. It's actually one of the reasons that I chose the neighborhood that we, that we live in is because I didn't want to live in a cookie cutter neighborhood that everybody was kind of the same. And I grew up in a neighborhood where there were two families that were financially distressed. And we yeah. got quite elaborate Christmases, yeah. you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was awesome. But when I, then I went to truck stops and moved, you know, we moved mobile homes is what my childhood labor was. And I would see a whole entire community of people that had even less than I did. Yeah. And there were no elaborate Christmases for them. And there was no, no mentorship. Like I had, nope. you know, I had, I never was unemployed because the ladies would always hire me to clean and, yeah. and you know, you had those, those resources that were provided through, through community. Right. And so if I, if I were in charge of community planning, I would have put the million dollar houses next to the HUD housing, kind of what is kind of happening in this area, not exactly in our master plan community, but just our You'll notice that daybreak, the community we're in, is lined by a lot of HUD housing. And I think that's fantastic because it is a higher income or stable income kind of area. And you do have the person who's making $50,000 living next to the person making half a million. And so Mm -hmm. my kids have been able to grow up with a little bit more diversity than they would have if we'd moved to the kind of neighborhood I grew up in where there's that one family. Oh, yeah. It can very easily become almost patronizing, but it was cool that locally we had um, the, the the sister missionaries that serve in our church know that I like gathering stuff. And they took me to go meet this family that was from Rwanda. And it was the day that the first snowstorm was going to be happening. And all I had to do was put on our community page that there was a need for bedding. And within three hours, we had an abundance of bedding. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And that's the among. And if we think about if we all took a family 
and kind of put them under our wings. Like you guys obviously did. You took in a 15 year old. You've got these 200 families, the students you have. So you're doing more than your share, Tyler. But, you know, if you if you just stopping othering of people. Just stopping that and learning their story, not enabling them in it, but helping mentor them to a different story. That's the world's problems being solved. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's really, that's how you do it. That's how you, that's how you, you know, our job again is just to love. So, um, you know, love with no strings attached is, is kind of my goal. Well, I think when you're attaching the different strings that you could attach is, you know, um, that's an expectation of what they're supposed to do with it. And yet we all should have the right to stumble and fall and learn our lessons bit by bit. Absolutely. You know, and, and no, no student should, should think that for them to be something that I'll love, they need to do certain things. And, and I tell the students all the time, I'm like, I don't love you more if you pass all your classes or if you fail your classes. I said, I'd love you the same. I said, but it's about you and it's about what you're going to open up and be able to do with your life um, according to the decisions you make. Um, and that's not, um, that's not how they've been treated often in their life, in their life, everything was conditional. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and we do, we create societies, we create communities, unfortunately, often that are, everything is conditional. You know, I'll love you if you do these things. Uh, and it's not, um, it's not, the, it's not the way of Christ. It's not the way uh, of, of, of anything really that, Right. Anything that brings up uh, taps into potential has to has to be unconditional, in my opinion. Right. Well, you know, so it's funny because people a lot of times will say that they think God is conditional because God rewards, you know, with blessings or whatnot, if you live a good life. And I was like, where's your evidence for that? Because Job uh, lived a good unquote life. And God used him as an example of how he could persecute him. And Job still loved God. And when our daughter died, I had people that said, well, did you think to pray? And I'm like, like are you thinking because I forgot to do a performative act of getting on my knees or having a little silent prayer on my way to the hospital? That's why my daughter died. Like, Really? You know, and it's, and it goes from our outward judgments to our self judgments that if things are going pretty well in our life, we're like, well, I'm, I guess I'm doing good. I guess I'm clicking all the right boxes. And it goes back to what you shared. If we can just be thinking, thinking badly about ourselves, thinking badly about other people, it's completely the wrong focus where it should be going up to God and out to your fellow man of how to see them the same as you. Yeah. And it's, it really, uh, I mean, for me, you've, you've touched on something that I'm pretty passionate about, and that's most of Christianity in the United States has been kind of infiltrated by the gospel of prosperity. And that meant that idea. And I remember I served for our church for two years in, in Honduras. And when I got there, um, I, I really had been raised and had adopted that belief. If you do what's right, then you'll be provided for monetarily and you'll have what you need. Um, and it, and you'll prosper, right? Uh, and when I read the word prosper in the scriptures, I always thought of finances, uh, you know. And but then I got to Honduras and I saw bishops and people that I just knew were pure and more righteous than me. Um, I saw them, you know, hungry and poor and in terrible living in terrible conditions. They kind of popped that bubble for me of that the idea of God, the gospel of prosperity, and and it's. Uh, again, going back to that quote, it, it is how God create God creates a, a world that um, we're all going to have trials. We're all going to have, and, and and what those trials look like um, isn't, you know, if uh, if your tr- if your trials poverty or your trial trial is living in a place where you can't get ahead, um, it, it doesn't reflect on on you as a as a child of God. Um, just it's. It's, it's, it's just, it, it just is and adopting that. And I think it's yeah. sad to see the, that idea of the gospel of prosperity. Um, it's because it, it really has the ability to ruin Christianity. I, I think that is the, the message that Satan got in was a strings attached on our end 
to thinking that if I do click the box, then I'm guaranteed X, Y, and Z. And God mm-hmm. never said in this life, right? So for those of us religious, but you know, life isn't fair. And just realizing what you said, what is, 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 what is, is mm-hmm. right. That yeah. there's a humility in that. And there's a peace in that. Yeah. We love the prodigal son parable, but what we often forget is the message of, um, and we model in so many ways, we model uh, the brother who stayed uh, and we get frustrated. Like, why, why are they getting the same as me when they didn't do these things? Like I prosper and I stayed this way and now they're getting everything I got or they're getting equal to, you've equalized them to me or even and that's not fair. And again, that's the gospel of prosperity is kind of that ugly head of, you know, that it, that it, our, our father loves us according to um, what we do. And it's like, no, what we do determines a lot, but he loves us according because we're children. Right. And um, anyone who's been raised by a parent who doesn't understand self-love, so can't give unconditional love. This is a confusing message. And something that I've had to learn a lot about in my own life and making sure that I gave that to my kids. And I'm really thankful Mm -hmm. that I was able to marry a really good, stable husband that, you know, and I had some friends and key people in my life and things like that who taught me that love simply is there. And yet they does not mean it validates you in every choice. And I think people have thought that if you love me, then you validate everything I do, then you tell me everything I do is great. And, you know, if you have some people who are only validating you into mediocrity, they're not holding out the quote from the German philosopher, um, Gioth, I think is how you say it. Like Johannesburg Gioth or something like that. It's spelled G-E-O-T-H-E. And I don't speak German, so I don't know how to say it, but it said, treat a man as he is, and he will remain so. Treat a man as he can become, and he will strive to become it. Yeah. And so when we tell people, oh, you're the broken of society, you know, oh, you're going to have to stay in this neighborhood. Oh, here's this handout because you're unable to make this happen for yourself. You know, you're treating a man as he is. But if you say, let me walk with you, let me teach you a different way. And that takes our our most sacred commodity we have. Checks are easy to write in comparison to giving our money. I mean, giving our time. Yeah. And if we just give our time, we just take one person under our wing and then they take another person under their wing and so on. You know, it, it sounds so simple and utopian, but it goes back to what you said. It's just loving others. My brother, when he was going through a divorce and his wife is one of those very sad, mean people who's truly mean. And he would say, well, she's got mental illness. And I said, that gives people with mental illness a bad name because She's just, she's the kind of person that walk up to a, a baby and kick it if it, if she thought it would help, you know? I mean, she's just, I mean, when my yeah. daughter died, she wrote me a nasty letter. I mean, she's just a mean, 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 mean person. And my brother has nothing. He's going through this divorce. He's living in my basement. He gave her everything. Um, he was, he came home one day and he said, Hey, those sleeping bags that you let my kids use. And I was like, yeah. He goes, do you, you don't use them, right? And I was like, no. And he goes, can I have them? And I was like, of course. And he goes, good. There's this, this homeless lady I met. And he was gathering up what he could to go help this lady. And I said, Lance, tell me what's going on in your head right now. Did you ever meet my brother, Lance Tyler? Uh, I don't think I have. He is just a man without guile. He's one of the purest, sweetest men in the world. If you don't like Lance, you have a problem because he is just, yeah. And I said, Lance, what are you thinking? And it was obvious what he was thinking. And he goes, well, I don't have a lot, but I have more than she does. And I can help her. And I was like, okay, what else do you need? And so, you know, I went on Facebook and we, we got stuff for an encampment, (laughs) you know, got a bunch of stuff for him, but, um, you know, she, she, uh, had a, a wound on her leg. And she didn't think she could go to the, the hospital because she's, uh, you know, she's not in this country legally. You know, my brother has enough Spanish that he was able to figure that out with her. And he's like, no, you can go to the hospital for this leg and possibly got her leg safe from being, 
you know, going gangrene. Yeah. You know? And, you know, it just, but it took his time. It didn't, wasn't so much of what he gave financially as just seeing her, you know, and no, no, like you have to be doing X, Y, and Z for me to give you the sleeping bag. It's here it is. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. He's a good man. He's a good man. And you're a good man, Tyler. I've really enjoyed oh, I, I think your wife is probably one of my top, top people that I just think is every single time I see her, she's just a ray and your children, obviously you have taught them to love deeply and um, that shows. And I hope I've given that to my kids as well. And um, you know, the best way we can teach other people is by doing it. Yes. And that's, it's the only way actually. So. Well, do you have any other thoughts? I see your eyes look like somebody's wanting, wanting the boss man, oh, no. you know, with but these kids, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sitting at, with ADHD, you know, I'm sitting by a, a door and I'm watching these kids come and go. And I'm like, why aren't they in class? But, um, <laughs> no, re- really uh, for me, it, um, my main thing, it really is that love that two, four, three and understanding that uh, so much of what ails our society can be remedied and just by just by Christ-like love and just by really every day trying to show every person that you interact with that you recognize and you haven't forgotten that they're 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 a sibling mm-hmm. that they're a child of God as well as you and and treating them you know like a cherished sibling uh, is really how you change the world mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's it's easy to forget that we're family um, and and that's the most dangerous thing to forget is yeah. that, that we belong, that we belong to each other. Yeah. And I, um, do you, do you guys talk about that at your school that they're, they're divine and they're children of God or do you have um, to go to the school? We have such a diversity of, um, families. Uh, we don't, we talk about them being part of a roots family and that's kind of where we put our time and our focus is that, mm-hmm. that, that they're, they're loved you know, everyone who walks through the door of roots is loved um, unconditionally because if you walk through that door, you're part of this, the roots family and part of that roots community. Um, and and it, no matter how you act, um, you know, and we do, we're also pretty clear that if you want to remain in the community, there are like, you have to, there's things you have to, there's ways you have to treat each other. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're asked to leave the community, um, that love doesn't go away. Um, but, and when you're ready, we always take them back. We tell every student that, that leaves, we say, you know what, when you're ready, come back, like no, yeah. no hard feelings. And we have kids that literally get kicked out every single school year and then finally graduate. So as a freshman, they were kicked out sophomore, junior, senior, um, they graduate. So, well, that, uh, that's so- um, a godly principle that you're teaching and teaching it in a way that it's not alienating any faith tradition but teaching them a a true principle that Mm -hmm. family still has responsibilities to each other. I mean, my husband can't hit me and tell me he loves me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, you know, he, he loves me because of how he treats me and you see that. And that, um, you know, if I turn away, you know, there's still arms to go back to. So don't worry. My husband's not beating me people. If anything, it'd be, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because people are like, what abused women, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally, totally not a, a suppressed woman here, but, um, no, I, I, think I know so your often, husband, so. yeah, he's, he's the best of men. So you already know yeah. that. And he's yeah. so brutally honest that if he wanted to hide something, it wouldn't work. Like he does yeah. not have the capacity to hide. Both my boys have Tourette's and that's part of what comes with their form of Tourette's is they're like, really honest. So I thought I really had mastered something about motherhood because my son would tell me everything. And then I realized that it was just his, the way his brain works is that he's going to tell you the truth. I was like, Oh man, I thought I really (laughs) unlocked something here to get, you know, parent child communication going. But, um, I, I hope that the listener will, um, one, if you have some ability to help roots, we'll have that information in the bio. Um, your guys are always looking, are there like a vegetable stand that we can be supporting. I, so the know. vegetables, um, it, everything we grow vegetable wise actually goes back to the students. And so cool. they, they, 
they take it. Um, they have food consistently. Yeah. And we do have a pantry that uh, we, we fill up and clear out probably three to four times um, every school year. And so donations to the pantry, uh, you know, those, the, those are probably the best way to support is just that financial support following us and talking, you know, following my Instagram, following the school Instagram, that actually makes a big difference because what it does is um, it humanizes the students, it humanizes the community, the Roots community in a way that uh, when you run into the Roots community in your community, um, you see them in a different light. And so yeah. that's that's a support that I always love. Um, it's just following and seeing what these kids are accomplishing and what they're doing with their lives. So That's super awesome. Well, you're changing lives loving one by one, which is what every religion teaches and what the best of psychology teaches is that we all need a safe place and being given that um, lose or win in life to have love gives us a, a, a willingness to try new things. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Sometimes we stumble and fall and sometimes we, we fall hard and break things. But that is the process of life, and that's how we learn. You know, the best um, humans have not evolved beyond being able to just read a book and go, oh, now I know all the things the book said. You know, we have yeah. to, a lot of us by our own experience, you know, and leaning upon each other. And um, whatever opportunity, I have a whole entire group, and um, I'd love to collaborate with you on um, doing a fundraiser for food. My, my group responds really ripples of change, and I talk about. You know, I'm just posting, be kind, be of service, because it's something that going and looking for examples of service, you know, is a great way to kind of start my day that I'm posting and sharing that kind of content. Um, but it all came about during the um, during COVID, you know, there was an opportunity that I saw that we could help. And if everybody just helped a little bit more in their community, one that would create great good, but it's also a required element of happiness is to find a way to serve. Absolutely. You cannot be a happy person and not be serving others in some way. You can't do it. Uh, yeah, I agree. So any closing thoughts, Tyler? No, I'm, it's been fun to be on here. It's good, good conversation. And it's a good way to kind of start out the, the lunch break. Well, I loved your post because anything that says don't be a pooper in your own head, because whatever you're putting in your own head, you're going to spill out of your mouth and out in your actions. And so sometimes the greatest gift we can give humanity is to refine what we're thinking about so that we can start spilling out of us kindness. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. you for being on Tyler Bastion, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. <laughs>